Hear the word of the Lord. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this Wednesday is Valentine's Day. That's no secret. Does this make you nostalgic? Does this make you remember Valentine's Day, the holiday when you were younger? I remember back in the day when I was in elementary school, and you'd have a class and you'd distribute these little cartoon card, Valentine card, to the whole class. And some of them would be like Mickey and Minnie Mouse with those big ears and they'd be holding hands with those big white gloves and Mickey and Minnie, and then inside it would say, Happy Valentine's Day. Or my favorite, Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Machine. And Scooby would be there with Shaggy and Velma and Daphne and Fred. I don't know if I missed anybody else. But the whole mystery gang was there by the Mystery Machine, and inside it would say, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, I love you. And there was that like special person in the class where you would save up the special Valentine for that person, that cute little girl or that handsome guy that you had your eye on. And so you picked out a special card with a super sweet cartoon and it would say something like, be my Valentine or be mine. And so you would give them that card, but then when you went, you kind of chickened out a little bit. You didn't have the guts to sign your name to it. So you signed something like, signed anonymous, or from your secret admirer. And I want to ask you, why didn't we sign it? What were we so afraid of? Perhaps we were afraid that we wouldn't have love in return, that they wouldn't love us back. What if our love was not reciprocated? Overall, what was our fear? Maybe it was a fear of being rejected. Now, the Israelites also had a fear of rejection. To them, it felt like God didn't love them anymore. But that didn't stop God from calling out to them in his persistence. Persistently, he said to Israel, you are mine. I love you. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear 
for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Too bad it didn't feel that way. Instead, they felt abandoned or forgotten by God. They had been stuck in Babylonian captivity for no fewer than 70 years. It seemed as if their punishment was too much for them to bear. Meanwhile, their hearts ached for home. They were homesick for Jerusalem. They were homesick for the temple. They were homesick for all the traditions and rituals and food and family that they enjoyed in the past. They were homesick for their homeland. Valerie Bridgman Davis makes this comment on the exiled people of God. She said, ancient Israel as a worshiping community and a nation in exile knew intimately the force of fear. They no doubt felt abandoned and what faith they had was threadbare as the story of their chosen status unraveled seam by seam. Twice in this passage of scripture, Israel is instructed by God, fear not, or don't be afraid, or do not fear. Yet the people were afraid and traumatized by the tragedies of their recent past. Imagine the trauma they faced when the flood of Babylonian soldiers rampaged through their town, knocking down city walls and burning the place down. The text mentions walking through the flames but they remembered the Babylonians lighting, lighting fires, setting the holy city ablaze. It was hard to forget the devastation of 587 BC when invaders knocked down the walls and destroyed what they loved the most, the holy temple of God. But God instructs them, do not fear, for I am with you. But along the banks of Babylon's rivers, it didn't feel possible for them to praise God for his holy presence. How could they sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What kept them from singing? Why were they so afraid? With hearts longing to be set free from captivity, they did not feel God's presence. They felt his absence. Despite God's declaration, you are mine, they felt overwhelmed by abandonment. Instead of understanding they were a people who belonged to God, they felt rejected. Instead of realizing they were remembered by God, they felt forgotten. Do you ever feel as if God has forgotten about you? Sometimes the difficulties of life can simply overwhelm us while only fears of abandonment or rejection remain. God declares to us, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Did you hear that? God claims you as his own. He says to you, you are my people. You belong to me. You are mine. So be mine. But do these words ring hollow or sound empty when you face so many obstacles in your life? You sit in a chair opposite your doctor and she says to you, we've run all the tests and your blood work indicates cancer. What I recommend is a steady treatment of chemotherapy and radi radiation. You feel your body tense up. You know your road ahead won't be easy. Or you sit in a chair opposite your boss and he says to you, I'm afraid 
we're going to have to let you go. We've had a tough year financially, and so we're going to have to downsize. Your work performance has been adequate, but unfortunately, we need to let you go. And you feel your body tense up. You know the road ahead will be extraordinarily difficult. In times of personal crisis, it can feel as if God is a long, long ways away. Valerie Bridgman Davis says, if God is with us, they must have wondered, how did we end up in Babylon of all places? We too may wonder about God's behavior or lack of it. If God is truly with us, why? Why do we continue to feel alienated or isolated? If God is with us, then why? Why cancer? Why divorce? Why financial hardship? Why loss? Valerie suggests that every affirmation God makes on our behalf can be met with a question, but the prophet Isaiah will continue to answer our questions with the reassurance that no matter what, do you hear this? No matter what, fire or flood, wind or relationship distress, war or famine, God is with us. Faith points to God's presence when circumstances suggest otherwise. It feels as if he's absent. Faith reminds us that he remembers us even when we sometimes feel forgotten by God. Faith repairs the broken heart, speaking words of encouragement to those who feel abandoned. So receive the comforting words of divine reassurance. He says to you and to me, you are mine. Be mine. God pens a love note inside a Valentine card to his people. In fact, a lot of people think this, this Holy Bible is God's love story written to us. From Genesis to Revelation, God is declaring that he loves you and he says to you, be mine, even as the words of the Holy Bible instruct. Fear not, God says to his people, for I have not forgotten you. I do remember you. I will act on your behalf as I have in the past. Consider verses 1 and 2 of chapter 43. Addressing Israel, God says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Now, first of all, this is poetic speech. This is poetry. So we have here is kind of an echo. There are two, there's a lot of thoughts that are repeated here. It starts out with passing through waters, then it goes through the rivers. And so those are echoes, river and water. And then another echo, fire and flame. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Now that's rare, isn't it? Usually if you're walking through fire, you will be burned and you'll smell like smoke and you'll be set on fire. That's a dangerous thing to do. But God says, I will protect you. I will protect you in the flood and the fire. That's the kind of God that we serve. Looking at the past history of God's redemption could encourage the people of Israel. Speaking of the flood, God rescued the Hebrew slaves from Egypt and they marched out into the wilderness with Moses as their shepherd. 
but they came up against it. They came between a rock and a hard place because they came to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them and in front of them was this body of water. And they were scratching their heads thinking, what am I going to do now? When all of a sudden God enacted a mighty miracle, he opened up the waters so they could march through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. They could go through on dry ground because God had rescued them through the flood and the waters of the Red Sea. In the same way, in more of their recent past, Israel experienced God rescuing them through the fire and the flame. Do any of you remember the story in the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were so committed to worship God that they said, I don't care what you're going to do to me, king. You can threaten me with my life, but live or die, I'm going to worship God. And so they worshiped God despite the king's direction, and they got cast into this fiery furnace, and they made it red hot. It was burning up with flames, but God sent another person to walk among them. So there are four people in the flame. Some people think that was Jesus. We don't know for sure. We weren't there. But anyway, they got out of that fire. And when they came out, their clothes did not even smell like smoke. It was a mighty miracle. God delivered in the past through flood and fire. And God can do it again. What God has done in the past for Israel God can do again. And so what we see in this passage is the reassurance from Isaiah the prophet that he will once again deliver Israel. And this time, instead of delivering them from Egyptian captivity, he will deliver them from Babylonian captivity and he will bring them back home. It's amazing. God says of himself, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. Now, right in the middle of these seven verses, we find verse four. And we think of verse four as the heart of the passages because there's three verses before and three verses afterwards. Verse four says this, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. Do you hear that? I love you. I give people in return for you nations in exchange for your life. This is God reciting a love poem to his people. This is God singing a love song to you and to me. He loves them deeply, and he's willing to go to great lengths and pay a great price for them. They are priceless. They are precious. So soon, after no fewer than seven decades of captivity in Babylon, God will set them free from their exile in this foreign pagan land and bring them back home. And God would send King Cyrus of Persia to not only defeat the Babylonians, but allow the Israelites to return home. Cyrus was the earthly liberator for Israel, but God was the one who sent him. And God is always the deliverer of his people. Just as in Moses' day, he used Moses to accomplish his purpose. So in the age of Babylon and Isaiah, he used Cyrus, the foreign king, to liberate his people. Paul Hansen talks about God's love. Paul says this, It's not accidental, therefore, that one of the harshest descriptions of divine judgment immediately precedes and leads 
into one of Scripture's purest descriptions of divine love. For love can flourish only when the partner is open, receptive, and loving in return. Love, after all, is not an imposition, but an invitation to reciprocity. Tough word to say. In other words, love is reciprocal. God loves us, and we love him in return. The people may have honestly felt forgotten and abandoned, but God remembers them. Why? Because his motivation is love. And not just any old kind of love, not some sort of puppy love that you grow up after, not not some sort of elementary school crush that comes and goes when you graduate third grade. No, this is a love that will last for all eternity. In the Bible, it's called hesed. The Hebrew word indicates the divine love, that it's a steadfast love, that it's loving kindness, that it's covenantal love, that it's God's faithful love to his people. The loving father cries out to his beloved children, I love you, for you are mine. Be mine. Can God hear, can you hear God speaking to you? Be mine. God spoke on the day of Jesus' transfiguration too. Today, let us not forget, is Transfiguration Sunday, marking the day when a voice sounded out from heaven. But that doesn't grab the headlines. We're often more, we're more obsessed with the sights than we are with the sounds. We, we want a visual. We want to look at something. We want a picture of something, like the cross behind us. Well, on Transfiguration Sunday, here is the visual. Jesus took his inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they climbed a mountain slope. And they got to the top, and Jesus was transfigured before them. He was glowing white like the sun. He was sparkling brightly with the shining divine light. And they were awestruck. But that's not all. All of a sudden, Moses, the shepherd of Israel, showed up, and Elijah, the prophet of Israel, showed up. And Peter was blown away, and he suggested another visual. He said, we need to build three tents for each one of you, one for Elijah and and one for Moses and one for Jesus. And all of a sudden, a voice came from heaven. And the voice said, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. That was God the Father speaking to Jesus, the son of God, saying, I love you. You are my son. You are the beloved one. And God says the same thing to you and to me. He says, you are the beloved one. You are the beloved one. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my beloved children. That's the voice of God calling to you and to me. And in Isaiah 43, the Lord speaks to his people, including us. We are his people. And he states clearly to all of you sitting in these pews, You are precious. You are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you. Did you hear that? God loves you. Despite all you're going through, despite everything that you've done, he still loves you. We're also informed by Isaiah that we don't need to be afraid anymore because God has redeemed you. He's called you by name. He knows your name. You are mine, God announces. And he shows that he loves you by sticking to you 
through thick and thin, through all the mountains and the valleys of life. He promises us his reliable presence. Unlike puppy love or an elementary school crush that comes and goes, God's love is reliable. He is present with us in all of life. Here is where the New Living Translation helps me to understand verse 2 better. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 2 in the New Living Translation. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames will not consume you. What really catches my ear here is rivers of difficulty. Earlier I spoke about the rivers of difficulty they would sometimes face like cancer diagnosis or job loss. And I've experienced job loss before. There was a time in my life where my daughter was born. That was 2001, June 11 of 2001. And just a few days later in the month of June, I was the one called to the office. And I was the one sitting down opposite my boss. And my boss said to me, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. And Rose and I, we prayed about it. And three weeks later, God provided not one job, not two jobs, but three jobs. Now I had another problem to solve. Which one of those jobs should I take? And it's the same with cancer diagnosis. If you're sitting there opposite your doctor and she says, I'm sorry, but you have cancer, but we have this thing with chemo and radiation. And what I want to say to you that God says, I love you, be mine, and I will sustain you through this trial. I will give you the strength to endure the difficult path of your healing journey. God shows generosity to us by giving us the strength that we need, by showing us his love. His love is not an idea that's trapped in the head, but his love is an action. And here today, we have an example of God's love and that he provides us with the Lord's Supper. And he says to each one of you now, come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, I want to show you my love through the bread and I want to show you my love through the cup of juice because it reminds us how much my beloved son paid the price to die for your sins. God says to each one of you, I love you. And he proves it. He proves it by sending his son, his only son, his beloved son, to die on the cross for all of our sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.